Welcome. This is Like Dragons Did They Fight audio series with life-changing services. I am Karen Broadhead, and I'm here with Markham. And I've known Markham for a while, and I've been so impressed with his awesome warrior heart and his character and his drive uh, that he's that I've watched him have with moving towards helping people. And uh, so he's involved in our company with our Men of Moroni program. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear more from him and about his story. But just to get started, Mark, if you'll just give us a little background on you and what makes you awesome and what makes you just as a man, what, who are you? Well, I was born in Salt Lake, but when I was five, we moved to New Mexico. We lived in New Mexico for nine years and then we came back to Utah. And I've been in this area since junior high. And pretty much been in that area except for a two-year mission. I served in Poland, and I got married shortly thereafter. So I've been married now for 14 years, and I have two boys. Sam is full of energy, is the complete opposite of my younger son, who's very analytical and enjoys monotonous things. So parenting two boys with uh, two different personalities is pretty fun. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. And what kind of things do you like to do? My latest passion is baseball. We like um, the University of Utah. They mostly have been terrible since they joined the Pac-12, but last year they won the Pac-12, so that was exciting. Mm -hmm. And we also have the Ogden Raptors pretty close, so we like to go to those baseball games. And my younger son is in baseball. And then just anything we can do together as a family, hiking or museums or anything like that together as a family. Awesome. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about how did you, um, what brought you to life-changing services? Uh, how did you find out about life-changing services? I was referred by my wife to the bishop, and the bishop had a good relationship with Maurice and life-changing services. and. I would say I that I was able to white knuckle the challenges I was doing. I would probably white knuckle it for three years easily. Mm-hmm. I never learned what real real recovery was until I was involved with the Menomoni. Awesome. So when you say real recovery, uh, what do you mean real recovery? It's like when. When the father brought his son, who was possessed with the devil, to Christ, and Christ asked this father, do you believe? And the father said, yes, I believe. And then Christ kind of looked at him like, are you sure? And then he said, father said, well, help thou my unbelief. So if you're able to give your life to God and then just be along for the ride, that's where real recovery comes from, and we like to say we have the technology to never have a lost battle again, and I know that to be true. That doesn't mean we stop fighting. We'll be fighting. Everyone has their things that they fight for the rest of their lives, the thorn and the, the flesh or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Everyone has it. Everyone has something they're going to be fighting. But as long as you are fighting, you can overcome all kinds of things that some people might say you can't overcome. Awesome. So 
were you involved at all in like the 12 step recovery? The first recovery program I really got to know was men and Moroni. And I think I, I have studied the 12 steps and I have studied a lot of other things on addiction part of my, part of my master's degree for marriage and family therapy. But as far as a program I know really well, it's the men and Moroni. Yeah. And you've been really involved in our men and Moroni program, creating it and training other mentors and being a mentor. Tell us a little bit about how how all that started and what you've noticed, just the miracle of men and Moroni. Like, it's a miracle what's going on now. Maurice has taught me that some guys do really, they don't really do really well till they have some responsibility. So I seeked out responsibility as soon as I could and was able to teach a few men and Moroni groups. Um, it was about October 2015 that I, uh, actually changed my career plans and told Maurice that I was planning to apply for graduate school in marriage and family therapy to, and that, and hoping that he would mentor me. And he agreed to that. And once he knew that, he said, well, let, I've been trying to get this personal warrior training program off the ground. You can, let's see what we can do there. So since that time, I've been coaching both young men and adult men on the daily goals portion of the program, the addiction side and the clinical side is done by the clinicians. What that looks like is uh, the warrior will go to group for two hours a week, and then they typically have a 30-minute check-in with a coach like myself, and that's just to set up and tweak their six daily goals and make sure they're set up really well and help them start to have perfect manpower days in a row. I've taken some informal surveys like from when I first meet with them and a week or even a week or two weeks later, the warriors typically admit to doing 40 to 60% better on their manpower goals. So maybe they'll get one or two a day before we meet, but then after a visit or two, they're maybe, they're near perfect and maybe missing one day a week or just mm-hmm. getting better and better. And a lot of people look at the extra cost of the personal warrior training and say, why would I pay that? Well, we're hoping that it's going to reduce the time that the warriors in the program paying for the program. So once they reach a certain level, they no longer have to pay. So you might pay a little extra at the beginning to get your goals set up and some extra help on the goals. But once you've accomplished that, you can attend group for free, which is uh, takes a burden off the pocketbook and it gives you a chance to mentor and, and lead others, which mm-hmm. has been mental in my recovery. Yeah. And the manpower, the mm-hmm. six, the six goals, it's a tool that we use in all of our programs, whether they're support programs or therapeutic, therapeutically run programs or run by coaches or trainers. What would you say is the power behind a power calendar? It's the whole purpose of it is to connect with God, have a relationship with God and fill the spirit. I, I see it often that um, one of my clients was telling me that he felt inspired to visit, you know, just drop by his home teaching families. And so the first family he dropped by, uh, they said something like, well, it's funny that you just showed up like this. We were trying to give so-and-so a blessing. So 
pretty obvious that he was feeling the spirit. Things were going good. Had a great experience. He goes and drops by the next uh, family, and something weird happens, and he gets yelled at. And so that just took him down. It was really sad that he had such a downer right after he had such a highlight. Yeah. I think way too often we have a spiritual experience, and we don't realize the full power of it, that if we've had that spiritual experience, that means that we're on the path, and... We shouldn't let Satan get to our self-esteem, even if people are yelling at us or whatever happens. Yeah. We're we feeling that, you know, once a day is a good, but three times a day is way better. <laughs> we can be feeling that one, three times a day or more. Then it's pretty hard to forget our values and why we're fighting and what we're trying yeah. to accomplish. Right. So the manpower calendar is a tool for keeping the spirit with you and reminding you why you fight. Exactly. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit about just a little bit about your recovery. So that if I'm listening to this recording, I'll be like, all right, I get this guy. I'm going to believe what he says because he has, he knows what recovery is. Well, I'm guessing it's a pretty common story to deal with this type of thing from teenager type years. Told a few bishops, but never really got a ton of good advice. Um, the best advice I ever got from a bishop was, like Elder Packer teaches us, that the mind is a stage. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really good concept to study. And going along with that was, oh, I was saying things like, well, I've had so many problems in the past. It was getting close to mission time for me. So some kind of comment like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go on a mission. And so... The bishop was, well, he drew a little picture of a stage and drew a guy on it and said, well, if you're worried about the past and you're worried about the future, what are you doing about today? And the direct quote from him is, you're crapping on today. <laughs> so, so trying to decrease the depression from the past, decrease the anxiety from the future, and just see what you can do today has been a huge help for me. And similar to the story I just told is if something stressful happens, it's really easy to make that a downer, but why can't we just switch our minds and make it a, I'm so glad that person yelled at me. Now I, I bet that's how Christ felt when people were yelling at him and throwing stuff at him and mm-hmm. it takes quite a bit of training to get there, but that's one thing I'm working on. Right. So working on looking at people more in a Christ-like way mm-hmm. and relating the hard things in life to, Hey, this is a kind of an opportunity for me to come more like Christ. So you said that your wife introduced you to, well, she recommended go to the bishop. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then your bishop said, Hey, I know about Mena Moroni. Yep. So, that's how it happened. And so was it something that your wife just discovered all of a sudden out of the blue after years of marriage? Or was it something where she's like, all right, we're working on this. So. Going back to the growing up years, my parents never knew. I I was able to go on a mission. Wasn't completely transparent about all the items of my past when I did get married. And about six years into marriage, it came out. I think both me and my wife did a good job of sweeping it under the rug and dealing with it as little as possible. So unfortunately, another six years go by and... 
it was time to do something about it. Tell me about some of the, just some of the strengths that you've seen, like in the Minamoroni program, some of the principles that it teaches that you have been kind of a game changer for you. Did you ever have like a, you know what, this is a turning point for me. Uh, two turning points come to mind. The first is for the program, I never thought that being lazy or just taking a break could be a bad thing. And I suppose it's not, but it's, it's still the step before the trigger step. A lot of programs teach you to avoid your triggers. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about the Metamoroni program is it teaches you. So the trigger point is level three. It teaches you to stay at level zero, which is feeling good, feeling spirit. Like we suggested that you do that three times a day. Um, level one is just feeling the negative emotions and level two is believing those negative emotions. So if you're sitting there saying, I'm feeling lazy, I really need a break and you believe it, you're only one step away from getting a trigger or some invitations to act against your values. So realizing that was a big, big help. And, um, Alma chapter 22. Verse 15 is when Aaron is teaching King Lamoni's father, and he's already had some kind of spiritual experience because he's, he's asking a really good question. He asks, Aaron, what shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Okay, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast and received the spirit, that I may be filled with joy or that I might not be cast off the last day. This is the part we usually talk about. It's I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. So that's the part about giving up his kingdom is usually what we talk about. Mm -hmm. But the part that stood out to me was having this wicked spirit rooted out of your breast. So you got to, and I would visualize that I had this giant carrot inside my chest and I had to physically pull it out. And then a little while longer was, well, I have this empty chest cavity. What do I need to do? Well, I need to fill it with joy, fill it with the spirit. The other rooting analogies from Alma 32 and the parable of the sower. So you have to root out the bad habits and replace them with good habits. That's another thing that's missing in a lot of recovery programs. They'll train you on a lot of things, but then you don't have something to replace, replace it. Um, if I just if I just met you on the street and you knew nothing about the program and I said, oh, yeah, this program's great. We've got a group for two hours a week. I check in with my coach for 30 minutes a week. I have six goals. I got to do my flagpole three times a day. What if you never knew anything about if you didn't know anything about it and I explained it to you that way? What, how, how would you describe it, Karen? Well, I think that sounds really hard. I don't think I have time for that group. Yep. yep. Time and time and probably a little overwhelming yeah and then if i if i then explain to you what it's like to have a addiction or unwanted behavior it's hard i don't i can't believe how much time i'm spending on it it's overwhelming so you you have to find fill your brain with good things fill your time with good things fill your heart and get it rooted within you so it becomes part of you Awesome. So all of those things you mentioned that would make me 
not be attracted to coming to that group. Those are the very things that are going to replace all the time I'm spending on that behavior that isn't serving me and fill that hole that makes me, you know, put something good in where that I hold the bad thing out. Awesome. Right. Yep. And another thing is a lot of those things sound really inconvenient. Well, that's what it's all about. It's about fighting your I don't want to do it, doing things when it's inconvenient because it's rarely convenient to live our values. Mm. That's awesome. It's interesting how the adversary, you know, he plays on just our natural tendencies. There's the temporal characteristics that we have, right? And it's just so interesting how it does. It makes so much sense to not do that. <laughs> yep. And it makes such little sense to do it. So I love that you said metamoroni is a training. Yep. It's not so much a sharing and a, that it's a lot more of a, a training where you're, you're learning to train yourself to do all these, use all these different principles and tools. Right. Awesome. That's awesome. And what kind of effect did this have on your marriage? Did you ever get close to like your wife saying, I made an appointment to go to the bishop for you because I'm about ready to divorce you? Yep. Um, this is another thing that's probably really common in LDS culture is my mission companion who I got along with the best. So more like a brother than a friend dating a girl who came from a, a family of divorce. And so one of her anxieties with getting married is, well, why would I, why would I even bother getting married? Because that just brings in the potential of divorce. Mm-hmm. She big hang up, a lot of anxieties. And so he, he got some advice from, I think our, maybe our mission president or someone like that. And he came up with, well, I, I believe in marriage so much that divorce is not an option. So fast forward 15 years later, they're married. I can't remember how many kids they have, six or seven. So things are going really well for them. So I try the same. I basically try to do the same thing. My wife's also from a a divorced family. And that was the only time that she, that she said she had to uh, renege on that because of, because of what was going on. And I was out of the home for two weeks. So two weeks doesn't seem very long. There's some that are dealing with this that are out of the home for a year and a half or six months. Um, so that was a, that was a real option. It, it, and in fact, I would say without the program, it may very well have led to divorce. Mm-hmm. So some people, it does lead to divorce. And, and that's when you discover something like men of Moroni or, uh, but because they've led, it's to the point of divorce. Uh, they're thinking, why would I go get therapy? Cause my marriage is going to not work anyway. Right. Why would I even want to go get therapy then? What would you get? Tell someone in that situation, like I've already lost my family. We've already divorced and I still need recovery. How would you speak to that? I think if the divorce is already final, I would think the best reason to get into recovery was to make sure you don't take the same habits that 
probably had a big impact on your divorce. You don't you want to do everything you can to not bring those into a second relationship. Yeah. And there are one thing about men and Moroni is there are several that are in there that are divorced. So it's not, it's not set up as a divorce support group, but if you join the men and Moroni and you might have to ask around a little bit who, who has time to, to help or talk about those kind of issues. There's, there's a few that are divorced and know what you're going through and, and I'm, there's several that have remarried or are maybe engaged or other serious relationships. So they could, they could mentor you and guide you to, to get ready for your next relationship. Excellent. Meeting with a lot of teenagers. That's one advice I give them is whatever you do, don't bring this into your marriage. If you learn nothing else, if nothing else helps, at least do that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a common misconception that, well, marriage is going to fix this. Yeah, that, yep, that's a, that's one that is probably abused by missionaries and other young men is, if I just do my mission, great, marriage is going to be a dream, but being married is even more work than being on a mission. That's good to know. So before before our interview, you just mentioned how critical it is for people to know that meeting with a marriage therapist mm-hmm. is so important to do, even if mm-hmm. your marriage is over. Yeah. Or even if, even if it seems imminent that maybe there's a separation, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe the papers are finalized. Maybe the papers are in process. So even though it appears the marriage is going to end, why, why would I, consider counseling or therapy at life changing services that it doesn't scare us when we hear there's a divorce finalized or it's in process that doesn't scare us for three reasons. The first one is the usual recommendation there is couples therapy. Now the challenge there is that in couples therapy, both the husband and the wife should agree to work on the relationship. So it's possible that one one spouse is leaning into the marriage, wants to fix it, but the other spouse is leaning out of the marriage. So you can't really pitch or suggest couples therapy if one spouse is not going to agree to work on a relationship. So you, you can use a different term. It's called discernment counseling, in which the therapist still meets with the husband and the wife and gets an idea of what's going on. But when the couple is together, there's no therapy going on because they haven't agreed to therapy and that can just provide a, a stressful situation. So uh, the couple would meet uh, together for a little while and then the therapist would meet with the husband and the wife separately. And the goal of those one-on-one situations is to help the, the spouses decide of three options. One, should we stay in the relationship? Two, should we get divorced? And there's lots of ways a divorce can go well. If that's what the couple decides. Of course, it's always good to check that that decision with God. And the third one is to attempt at reconciliation. And that is a six-month period. 
where they the couple decides to work on their marriage and take divorce off the table. You can really throw a wrench in things if maybe recovery is going okay, healing is going okay, and then there's a blow up, and the first thing that comes out is well, that's it. I'm going down to the I'm going down to the courthouse and filing the papers. So both couples can agree to a six month period of working on it with with divorce off the table. That's when you get into the couples therapy and both agree to work on the relationship. Working with that leaning out spouse is really important. You might be able to get them, well, can we just try it for a little while? They'll be so fixated on improvement in the relationship and it more than likely won't happen fast enough. So you can't really, you can't say, let's give it a try. And then if they show up and you say, okay, are you guys going to stay together, get divorced, hurry up and decide? That doesn't really. Mm-hmm. A therapist isn't doing much uplifting if, if they say, well, I can help you with divorce. I can help you have a good divorce or I can help you stay together. Which is it? There's obviously a lot of decision making in gray area in between those two. So that's the first reason is, uh, we're not scared to deal with that because there's, those strategies have been found really effective. The second reason is we've never found a case in which the husband did a Minamoroni type program, really got his head on straight, got connected with God. If a husband gets his head on straight, we've never seen a case where the marriage failed. Puts a lot of weight on on the husband, and it is uh, you know there's lots of scriptural references to the patriarchal order. He can get his head on straight, then he can lead his family. And and that doesn't mean they're perfect. And going along with that, the wives, they just really want to see someone who's trying. So they can be amazingly patient and understanding if there's any kind of evidence that, that the husband is trying. The third reason that we're not afraid to deal with divorce because we know, just like when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, a lot of people were saying he was three days too late. There's a lot of doubt. For whatever reason, it's, it's too late. You can't, you can't raise him from the dead. So all it really takes is for Christ to lay his hand on the marriage and it can come back from the dead. Even if there's long separations, divorce papers filed, divorce papers finalized, that's all it takes and it can be raised from the dead. That's beautiful. I love that analogy. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, and with your marriage and family therapy, you're actually being trained and, and uh, doing your hours for uh, becoming a marriage and family therapist with life changing services with the potential to, yeah, just be one of our therapists there, right? I am taking clients as an intern. I've attended the Maurice teaches a men's marriage repair workshop. I've attended that pretty much since the beginning. And I've done co-therapy with a couple of therapists. I do two sons of healing groups. So I, I am hoping to help more people. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Well, you know what? There's so much value in my opinion. If I, to have a teacher who's lived what they're teaching. And been with our company for several couple years now, right? And for you to come into, you know, I need support training level to a 
trainer and now a clinician. It's just, it's like ideal. It's awesome because, yeah, perfect. When I told my wife that I was considering marriage and family therapy, I said this is the most hypocritical degree I could ever get. And she said something like, yes, however, <laughs> if someone can learn from the hell we've been through, then this is exactly what you should do. And I've had times where my wife supported me in what I was doing. And there was times where I went off the rails and did whatever kind of job I felt like. And it, it goes a lot better when when the husband and wife both agree on on what the husband's doing for a living. That's awesome. All right. Well, just in closing, Markham, is there anything that you would just say to somebody who is in a place of either, you know what, the journey I've been on and where I'm at has led me to a place where it looked like I've just ruined it all, broken it all. Or they're in a place of, I haven't even told anybody yet. I just know that I need support. But if I tell someone, all the things I love will go away. We're pretty good at teaching that people end up in places that they don't choose to be. So it's, imagine if you're in, um, say you're in boot camp and you're in the barracks and the enemy somehow gets a grenade in your barracks. That wasn't your responsibility or your, well, it wasn't your choice. You didn't throw the grenade in the barracks. That doesn't mean you don't have responsibility. So you get to kick the grenade back to the enemy. You get to jump on it. So every, so you're the only one that gets blown up. Just like you're just chilling out in the bar- barracks and here comes a grenade. You didn't choose, you didn't choose to be where you are, but you, you still have responsibility. Another thing is that the adversary can speak to us in our own voice. And so he'll do things like tell us to jump off a cliff and then he'll give us a hard time and say, well, why on earth did you jump off that cliff? And so it's the same with bringing someone into the circle of knowing what's going on with you. He'll make it seem like the end, the world's going to end if anyone knows anything about it. And I bought that lie for years. Truth is when you finally tell someone, that's it takes a big relief off your shoulders and that's the beginning of recovery that's when you start healing is when you're able to open up people of course it's not easy to bring people into the circle but the more people you have in the circle the more likely you are to succeed and that's that's what the bishops are there for that's what the minimum similar groups are there for is so we don't deal with this alone we're we're fairly certain that Especially for young men that they need, they need to be in a, a group environment so they can see and hear and smell those other boys in group and say, Hey, they have the, we're all fighting the same thing. We're actually on a team. So it's much better to be on a team than be alone. Uh, when Adam and Eve first took the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, the very first thing Satan suggested to them is that they hide because they were naked. So I, I know you, whoever's listening to this, I know you're lots, you're way too smart to fall for the oldest trick in the book. Mm-hmm. So don't buy into the isolation and find someone you can talk to. It doesn't have to be us. It can, it 
can be almost anyone that you trust to reach out to. That's awesome. Is there anything you'd like to say to wives or mothers, women, their supporters? The analogy I know that you like, Karen, is stay by the tree. Mm-hmm. Is we we want to jump in the battle, put help them put their shield on, tell them how to hold their sword, tell them how to fight or fight for them. But that's that's not the plan. The plan is for us to figure it out on our own. So sometimes. Sometimes letting go is the only way to help staying by the tree and being a good example. And it's hard, it's hard to know, to think about this in the moment, but it might be 20 years until they realize your example and realize my mom's been by the tree for 20 years and I've been, I've been uh, playing in the, in the dark and dreary world, spent some time in the great and spacious building. And then the time that was really bad is all I had was a cold pipe and the great and spacious building. And I was still 50 miles away from the tree of life. So that's a hard spot too. I just say, stay by the tree and you're probably doing better than you think you are. And don't, don't buy into Satan's lies that it's your fault. One of my anxieties was I let my two year old play video games or something like that. And so I, well, that's probably why he developed ADHD. Well, that wasn't a helpful thought. That, in fact, the psychologist told me that I shouldn't worry about that. <laughs> so, so that's one example is, right. you're doing a lot better than you think you are. Excellent. All right. And then just in closing, if you, how did you see the hand of God in your life? And if you wouldn't mind just answering, why are you fighting and why don't you just give up? hand of God in your life? So it was quite a few years ago. My dream was to go to medical school and be a seminary teacher. And that didn't work out. I kind of got distracted by sales jobs and a bunch of other stuff. But just about, you know, two years ago, a year and a half ago, I thought, well, maybe I, I could get my license as a marriage and family therapist. That's still in the same field as a medical doctor and uh, specializing in helping the, especially young men. So the fact that I was on track that many years ago went off and did my own thing for a while, but have come back to something very similar than to my original plan. I think the hand in God is that is in that I was able to return to what I was probably once inspired to do, even though it's been many years. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting to be a excellent presider, provider, and protector in my family. If I did have some major issues, then it would be pretty hard to. If I was working with a young man. The the mom would look at me and say, "Hey, you're not working with my young man," because women can tell they have a creepy guy detector or they have this radar, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I do this is to stay sharp, so that I, I need to keep on top of. My goals so I can help others lift, lift others. And in fact, a, a big part of my income comes from this now. So that could really cause problems. And the reason why I don't give up is because Christ didn't give up on me. So there's no way I'm going to give up on him. Awesome. 
Thank you so much, Markham. Thank you.